Okay. Thankful that you guys were able to make it here today. It was questionable whenever that snow was coming down yesterday, and uh, then all the cold. It's great, 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 great to have you. And I want to tell you, it sure beats sitting at home, because it's, uh, you know, on days like this, you don't get out, you're just at home all day, and, and it's like, isn't this great to have something before that at least? So, uh, we say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Those are the words of the last verse that we were uh, dealing with last week, which leads right into this chapter 9 this week. The three woes are representing the three trumpet judgments that are to come. Now, how many trumpet judgments are there? Seven. There are seven seals. We are already in the seventh seal now as we study. And we did four trumpets last week. We've got three trumpets to go. We will do two of those today. Two Woes, right? Whoa, whoa. And then we'll do the third one next week. That's enough, isn't it? Trumpets are blown, meaning in this sense of the whoa, 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 a more intense judgment than we've seen before. It's like if you think that was something, check this out. And uh, it would be sad, it is sad, for mankind in his sin, to be left in his sin, and to be judged. It is gracious to us to take us out of the muck and mire of the sin and depravity that's in this world and to bring us up into the family of God into heaven. And so, those first four judgments that were in chapter 8 were something because it was physical judgments dealing with the land and not only the land that's dealing with the trees and the grass, the plants, but also in the sea there are going to be judgments. And then in fresh water there will be judgments. There's three judgments. And then the fourth one that we looked at was again in the sky. Constantly, there are signs in the sky of the day of the Lord, either coming or it's at that time. And we are in our study in the day of the Lord. Even though Christ hasn't come back at that time, this is where the fierce judgments are opened up as far as the seals are concerned. Um, we have to remember that those were physical elements that were judged that we looked at last week. The land, the sea, the air, and our fresh waters. But this time, now we're going to look at the spiritual realm. Namely, the demonic realm that is unleashed onto this earth. It's supernatural. And it's demonic supernatural judgment that we see here. It's a demonic realm. And you remember Ephesians 6 says, We battle not against flesh 
and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, against world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. So that is what this is about. And we have spiritual warfare on a constant basis. You may not know it, but a lot of times you are battling the enemy, whether it be the world, the flesh, or the devil. Sometimes it's a supernaturally inspired temptation that may come your way. Or some kind of terrible suffering that one goes through that the enemy can launch on us. So this great tribulation though is on a different level. It's on a higher level than what we've ever seen in our lives. And even during this tribulation, the heat has turned on high. Isn't it nice to come out of 90 degrees and walk in this building and it feels great? It's warm in here, isn't it? Does it feel pretty good? If you're sitting by a window, it might be a little cool. Feels good, all right. Isn't that great? Thank you, Lord, for giving us a building to worship in and to have heat in it. You know, we just, you know, we are spoiled. We expect that the way to be, right? Then you go home and it's nice and warm in there. God is so good. More than good, isn't He? What a blessing. But I want to tell you, at this time, the intensity of His judgments are heightened. They're taken to an extreme level that has never been or ever will be. He takes it up another notch. By the way, He will continue to take it up another notch. And of course, if we wanted to make this a fiery judgment, we could turn up the heat and keep turning up the notch in here. And boy, we could feel it, couldn't we? Uh, I don't think I'll do that. The... Uh, we don't see Satan. We don't see demons. We don't even really pay much attention to them. But the fact of the matter is we do battle with them constantly. Keep your armor on, folks. You always need your armor on. Ultimately, your armor is Jesus Christ. He is all those pieces to us. These uh, demons that we're going to be looking at today... Uh, we're going to see that they enjoy wearing down the saints, wearing down the lost. It doesn't matter. They love to bring temptations. They love to bring attacks, doubts, and fears. That's how the enemy works. But yet, sometimes it's an alluring way, a beautiful way that looks so good, sounds so good, feels so good. And yet, we are being tempted by the demonic world. Demonic world, it's been busy in our time. It's been busy ever since mankind sinned, hasn't it? Uh, when the demons are unleashed, we're talking about demons that are not free to roam about in the world as we know today, but there are certain demons that are going to be unleashed from underneath, from a pit. And they're going to do whatever they please in the Great Tribulation. Although God is in control of this, they can only do what God allows them to do. He uses the enemy, doesn't He? That's how great He is. But He has it controlled. 
It'll be the most brutal of all time during the Great Tribulation, and this is what is on the slate today as we will be opening up uh, chapter 9. Let's go ahead and uh, get your phones and do some scrolling. Some people have Bibles, some have your phones and such. It's kind of interesting time, and I, I see a lot of just physical Bibles here today. The Word of God, it's amazing. You can have it with you all the time, can't you? Chapter 9, starting at verse 1, this is called Demonic Warfare. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit. Smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and like the, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locust upon the earth, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. The appearance of locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. One saying is the is the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, 
For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and idols of gold and of silver and of brass and stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorcerers, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Lord, we come praying to give us wisdom and insight in such a heavy-looking text before us. Maybe symbolic. A lot of it's real. Lord, no one can know for sure exactly what all this means. But we do know Your wrath is being unleashed and You're turning it now over to let the demons do what You command. And we stand back amazed. At the same time, we are amazed at Your great grace because millions of people are saved during all this time. Thank you for salvation and bringing us to you. And as we study this this morning, may it be deep meaning to us and learn better what your plan is. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a lot of verses. And you might be wondering how in the world are we going to get through this. I am too. And usually I have five pages and I've been cutting it down to four and I still go over an hour. Well, I challenged myself this week to cover the whole chapter and I've got two and a half pages. That's about half of what I usually have had. Now let's see what happens with that and see if we can get out before noon like we always do. <laughs> We're in no hurry. There's nothing to do when we get home. It's cold out there. So, but who knows, this may be the shortest message that I've ever done. I don't know, but it's two and a half pages for what it's worth. We've already done a half page. So are you ready? <laughs> I'm trying to get my breath. Do you guys hear me yell all the time? I'm not a yelling kind of a person. I never did yell in Bible study and, and on Sunday morning messages. But I have to push it out to get it out of my lungs or my throat. So if somebody's watching for the first time on internet and they say, man, I can't stand that. A guy's yelling. And a lot of people don't like yellers and I don't either. But so, uh, uh, you know, please excuse me. Otherwise, I'll be whispering up here. It's one or the other. I've got one gear, basically. So at any rate, I always wonder why whenever I get home I have lack of breath. <laughs> it's all been put out here. Fifth trumpet, we did four last week. Now we're into the woe, woe, woe. Here's the woe. The first of the three woes. Um, you know, we think of judgment. When we think of trumpets, there's a parallel passage that sounds very familiar with this. A lot of parallel passages. You think of the day of the Lord. And in the day of the Lord, you get a lot of prophetic literature, apocalyptic prophetic literature, and it's put in symbolic ways. And it is something to behold sometimes in seeing how God writes and 
different authors that he gives to pin this down. We, we think of when someone mentions Revelation, what do we think of? Judgment, right? Judgment, 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 judgment. But we've already seen Christ, God, Holy Spirit in this book in amazing ways. We've seen the holiness of Him, the fire that's coming out of the throne, but the, uh, the aura, the, the amazing colors that are at the throne. We see Christ. We see the Lamb. We see the Lion. We see grace there. All the way through Revelation, it's not just judgment only. It's the grace of God. During the worst of times ever. Judgment. And here is grace. It's preached again. Mercy is here. What a combination of mercy and grace. You say, how do you see that, Dennis, in Revelation 9? What in the world are you talking about? God desires to call people to repentance. In the worst of times, He blows a trumpet. Here comes more judgment. But here comes more gospel because you have those 144,000 screaming good news. Here's how you can be saved and, and people are coming to the Lord, being drawn by Him, and then at the same time, other people will not repent no matter how much judgment is brought forth. You think, okay, after all we've seen now, surely everybody would turn to the Lord now. And they still do not repent. How about other people? They do. That's the marvels of God in His program. Do you notice that this is dealing with the fifth trumpet? The fifth angel sounded... The fifth angel has a trumpet. And so, we're at the fifth judgment. Blow a trumpet. Blow a trumpet in Zion. I want to go to Joel chapter 2, which deals with the day of the Lord. It's very graphic. It's very poetic. It's great literature. It's a prophecy. It's incredible. And it goes along with Revelation so much of the time. You have Hosea, Daniel, Hosea, then Joel. Joel 2, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We really should, but I'll just take a few texts here. Oh, thank you. That will really help. Appreciate that. In Joel 2, 1 and 2, look at this. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Remember, trumpets can be a lot of things, but in Revelation, usually what's it mean? Judgment. And sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. Now, you know, Old Testament prophecy... There's day of the Lord literature and prophecy about the soon and coming enemy and how it's going to affect the ten tribes and then later the two tribes in, in uh, like Judah and Benjamin, the southern part. That's day of the Lord literature. But remember, when you see it in the Old Testament, we also know that it's pointing to something that is even bigger and grander 
near the end. It says verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Sounds like somebody that's in office, doesn't it? The dark winter, as the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there ever be again after it, to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like war horses, so they run with a noise as the noise of chariots. They leap on the tops of the mountains. Does this sound familiar with where we have been and are today in Revelation 9? The, the chariots, the, the horses, and the flame, the fire, and such. Well, he says, blow a trumpet in Zion. Now, uh, where I'm going to go is going to be something not, you're not expecting Verse 10 and 11 will be something you're expecting. Before then the earth quakes. Does that sound familiar? The heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. Remember the signs in the sky? The Lord utters His voice before His army. Surely His camp is very great. For strong is He who carries out His word. The day of the Lord is indeed great. And look at this. And very awesome. And who can endure it? Who can? Nobody. Only Christ. And people who are in the ark or in Christ can endure this. Anyway, look at verse 17. He said, well, it's still in judgment, right? Yes, it is. Then look at 17. I'm skipping a lot of verses. Let the priest... The Lord's ministers weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, Where is their God? See, look what He's doing. Where where is their God now? Don't let the people say that, right? And look at verse 18. Then the Lord will be zealous for His land and will have pity on His people. The Lord will answer and say to His people, Behold, I'm going to send you grain, new wine and oil, and you'll be satisfied and full with them. And I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. Do you guys get it? This is good news, isn't it? But what did we just see in Joel? Bad news, judgment. This is what Revelation does. This is all about the good news. He's revealing Jesus Christ. Now look in verse 25. Are you ready for this? Look up. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Do you remember Revelation 9? What do you see in there? Those locusts. Whatever they are. 
He says, I'm going to make up for you for all the damage they did. You will, Look at this. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. Who and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Are you seeing grace here? What about all that deep, dark judgment? What about it? Look in verse 30. This gets us back in the context. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about, and here's where we're at, right here that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Some will come to the Lord and He will probably take very quickly in martyrdom. Others will live right on up to the time that Christ comes back and go right into the kingdom. This is wondrous, Lord. Thank You. Joel 2 is deep and dark. But in the deep darkness is the great promise. And that is for the 144,000. It's for Jews and it's for the multitudes of Gentiles all over the world. And that's what's going to be happening during all this time that's coming. Some will say, because of this great judgment that's going on, I know it's of God. I, Lord, cast myself to You and repent of my sins. And I trust in Christ's sacrifice. They call on the name of the Lord and they are saved. Is that good news? A very judgmental passage. Well, this is what I want you to keep in mind as we go through this horrendous scene right there that John is seeing here on the earth in his future time. It's still future to us too. So blow a trumpet. Does that help? Blow a trumpet doesn't always mean judgment because Christians await the trumpet that He uses to call us to meet Him up in the air. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. It's the last trump. That trump is the one that calls people to Christ. A gracious calling. So I think that's tremendous, don't you? Now with that in mind, we still have not done Revelation 9 yet, and I've got all these verses. Folks, I haven't done the first page yet, though. Well, there's some stuff coming ahead here that's really kind of like Jesus, or like God said in His Word. Great and awesome in that day. Alright, here we go. Fifth angel sounded. I saw a star from heaven. Oh, we've been hearing about stars 
many times falling. We say meteorites. We say, you know, it's like chunks that's out in space. Uh, asteroids, pieces that come down and hit the sea and cause uh, tsunamis and earthquakes. Volcanoes erupting, going into the sky and then raining back down upon the fresh water on the land, burning grass, burning trees, all plants, crops. And he say, here we go with one of those stars again. Star from a heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of a bottomless pit was given to oh, we've got a big clue here. Him. It's a he. A him. A person. Personality. It's not like some star that we think of that we see at night. We're thinking a star out of heaven. Lucifer, who was very bright, that's his name means light. But he is not light anymore. He's dark, all dark. But here he comes. He falls from heaven. And we go, this is a person. It's a demon. It is possibly Satan. Some kind of astronomical term here is used, but it's a person. I tend to think it is Satan. Doesn't have to be. It's okay. Go to Job 38.7. We'll try to get to the rendering of that meaning that I came up with. Job 38.7 says, When the morning stars sang together. Are we talking some astronomical element here? I think not. And all the sons of God shouted for joy. This is before we were created. And I tend to think the uh, angels were all created before, definitely before us. But they sang together. They praise God. The sons of God are rejoicing. And so it's got two terms. They're called stars. Or they're also called sons of God. And you say, well, that's Christians, right? You know, we're really not called sons of God even though we are in that sense. But when you see it in the Bible, what do you see? Sons of God? You're usually going to see it means angels. Uh, so let's move on in that and let's get further references that can maybe, maybe help us. Uh, Revelation 12.4 moving ahead a little bit. Have you noticed that we're moving through Revelation pretty quick? We're already in chapter 9. Can you believe it? Well, in 12, 4, it says this. uh, And His tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven. Oh, that's interesting. Are we talking astronomical stars? and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, uh, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Well, this is the dragon. The dragon is who? Satan. 
Lucifer fell, and he is that dragon. He has a tail. He sweeps away a third of the stars. The stars are the sons of God. They are the demonic angels. And he takes a third with him. Let's build it up a little more. Verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Angels or demons, a third of the angels are with him. The dragon, Satan, right? We're getting a lot of explanation there. Does battle with Michael and his angels. They lose. They are sit down to here and throughout the heavens. And only they can go up to God and and plead to God that what they want to do is do some what they did with Job. You know, God would have them report ever so often. We know that that's not their abode, but there are times when there were commands that were given by God to them, what they could do, what they couldn't. Well, there is a time later also in Revelation that we'll see that they are kicked out for good never even to go up there anymore to even get those commands there. Um, so, are we seeing something here that is kind of interesting? Uh, Revelation 9, there's a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. The key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He has a key to a bottomless pit. What's the bottomless pit? Well, in verse 9, 1, and 2, we see it deals with the pit. He opened the bottomless pit. In verse 2, smoke went out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. The sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Uh, go to verse 11. The, the, they have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. The angel of the abyss or pit. It's all in that context there in chapter 9. Chapter 11, verse 7. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss, the pit, will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Uh, chapter 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss, a pit, go to destruction. Um, verse, chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So dragon, serpent, uh, devil, Satan, bound him for a thousand years. Verse 3, And he threw him into the abyss and shut it 
and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. What's he doing right now? He's deceiving the nations, isn't he? He's doing it huge, big time, isn't he? He's deceiving all the nations. He's done that for thousands of years. Boy, he's really putting it on display. Wait till this time period. Finally, we see that he will be locked up. Not doing what he has done. Amen. Well, that's quite interesting, isn't it? So is Satan in the bottomless pit right now? No, because by the time you get to chapter 20 and 21, we're talking the time of the kingdom. Chapter 20, that's what it's all about. The whole text is dealing with that. Now, look in Luke 8, verse 30 and 31. Luke 8. I'm beginning to think, I am sure glad I didn't do four pages today. Eight, thirty, and thirty-one, and this is where Jesus goes. You remember the Gadarene that story? I don't want to read the whole thing, but uh, the, he goes over in that area. He sails over to the Gerasenes, opposite of Galilee. There, there are demons that are living there. Two of them. They live in like in a cave, and you know they go. They're naked, and they just do ridiculous demonic things. These these are men possessed by demons. And when you get to verse 30, there's Jesus. He comes there and He does an amazing thing. He casts the demons out of them. But first He asks, What's your name? And He said, Legion. For many demons had entered Him. So the man speaks. What's your name? Legion. Many. Many demons. They were imploring Him not to command them to go away into the abyss. The pit. The abyss. The pit. Don't. Do whatever you want to do, Jesus. They recognize who He is. Do whatever you do. But don't throw us into the pit. Because they know there are other demons in the pit that have never been out since they did some dastardly thing that was unmentionable. It's a place where demons were bound until this time, because now here in Revelation 9, we see that either Satan or some commander or some king of these demons... Well, uh, he's mentioned king in verse 11. He's going to open the pit. He opened the bottomless pit. Smoke went up and out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locust upon the earth. Okay, now it's locust, right? Locusts are bound until this time. But what I, I have questions. This is confusing. This is confusing. You've been through it before probably many times if you've been in Bible study. But turn to 1 Peter 3.19. We're going to go to three New Testament passages other than Revelation and see if we can get some help. 
When it's mentioned once, you would go, I'm not so sure about that. And that's basically what I usually do. I'm not so, I need more evidence of this. When you see it twice, you go, okay. When you see it three times, you go, oh yeah, this is really, this is absolutely. And you see it four times and you go, I guess it does mean this. I, I can't believe this. I, I just have difficulty with this. First Peter 3.19 it says, uh, here's Christ suffering and, and ours and such. And also, He went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. We are spiritual beings, but encased in a body. These are spirits that are in prison. These are not spirits in heaven made perfect. These are spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And then he corresponds that to baptism and such. But he's saying these are spirits, the only other spirits that I know besides us, and we're, we have souls right in our bodies. These are Who are they? They can only be angels or demons they were disobedient. They were so disobedient that they were locked up. Right? He's going to go down and proclaim to them that he has triumph and victory. That's what he did after the cross and during you know you think of before the you know the resurrection and that kind of thing. Well, he proclaims, "I have I have triumphed over you. I have victory." And the you know the patience of God, 120 years. So they did something during this time. <laughs> Let's move on and get a little more clarity then. Let's go to 2 Peter 2.4. And it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, and he compares that, he didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others. He saved them, right? And then he compares it with destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. He says at this time, here is what happened. They were committed to pits of darkness. They did something absolutely immoral. Not all the demons were, but a certain number were cast in there. Remember the the demons that possessed the, you know, the two men, uh, at Gerasenes. Do you remember that? You know, they said, "Do not cast us into the abyss. Don't cast us into the pit, because, I mean, that is quite the judgment. They can't go out and about like they do." Okay. We go to Jude 6 and 7. So 1 Peter, 2 Peter, now Jude. And I know that what we're heading into sounds very, very strange. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, what God had allowed them to have, they abandoned it. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And he compares it again to a judgment. 
Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, they were judged. He says, yes, he judged angels. He, he judged the demons. And they were bound. They were in a pit. So, why were they in the pit? We go to Genesis 6. And I know it's very difficult. And I know there are very many good pastors and teachers that are very, very good and I borrow from all the time and they would vastly disagree with what I'm going to put forth. But it's not that strange. I can also show you a bunch of people, even through the Reformed years, not too many of them, but, but, a, but a few, who will also agree with what we have here. It is puzzling at the most, at the least. Uh, Genesis. Genesis 6, 1, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, do you remember what we talked about, sons of God earlier? Well, it could be believers, but that's very unusual. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Well, that's natural. A regular man would see that a, a lady would be beautiful and he would uh, take her. You know, that's just sounds common, doesn't it? And they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. And then this strange phrase, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God, there we are again, came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. That's natural. That's not odd. I propose this is not natural. This is some supernatural demonic thing. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that He made man on the earth. He says, alright, Noah, 120 years is all we're going to have here. You're going to build the ark. You know, This is that whole scene there we've been talking about during the days of Noah and here and, and the demons were mentioned in there. Here we have sons of God who are taking daughters, wives of, of, of mankind. And it mentions the Nephilim were on the earth in those days when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. Bore children of them. Mighty man. God has to destroy the earth, anyway, because of everybody that's on the earth, because of the evils, the depravity, the wickedness. There's something that even stands out amongst that because we saw it in First Peter, Second Peter, we saw it in Jude. And we see it here in Revelation 6. We go, are these the sons of God? It's B'nai Elohim. The sons of God. I propose that it's... These are demons that we saw in Peter and Jude, Revelation, that are cast into the pit. They're found there in hell. Or we saw one passage, was it Jude? Or was it Second Peter where it said hell? They were cast into hell. That word is Tartarus. And it's reserved for um, like the devil and the demons. 
It's what that was created for. That is the holding place, Tartarus. It's another name for hell. So in your version, if it said hell, that's, that's the Greek rendering of that. Uh, Satan was not bound in there. Whatever they did, let's say if I'm totally wrong on, on the sexual aspect that went on there. Let's say if I'm wrong. They did something at this time that was beyond what God even allowed them. Satan didn't even do this. This is the lowest of the low, people, what they did. And I can only imagine that if they possess a man and then go into a woman and then they have create, I mean, not create, but out of that woman comes these giants. The Nephilim are considered the giants of the land. And all of those people uh, in that area would be wiped out later. Of course, the flood does that. Demons are all over the place today. They're not in that pit. There's a pit with very demonic, and I mean the, the evilest of evil, the lowest of the low. You see, Satan is not in hell. People say, well, he's, you know, where, you know, he has the, the horns on him and the red suit, and he's down in hell commanding, and he's the king of hell. No way. He doesn't want to be in that place. One day he will. But I want to tell you that uh, he's not running things down there. This is the pit of the demons. So a certain class of angels were put into the pit. I know Genesis sounds really weird, folks. But a lot of people don't believe in the worldwide flood either, do they? Nephilim were the fallen ones. That's what that word means. Fallen fallen angels. Moses wrote Deuteronomy 2, which he also mentioned a race of giants, which were the children of... Uh, when the children of Israel went in close to the uh, edge of the promised land. And he mentioned that there were the Nephilim or the Anakim. Did you know that Goliath was a son of Anakim? Now this is after the flood. Those in the days before the flood and then after the flood, nations were wiped out though. Moses said, we're going to go into there and we're going to meet these guys. Now, after a flood, I don't know how that can even be the same ones that were before the flood which only had eight people saved. But he says, when you go in the land, you wipe out everybody. But when you first go in, there's three groups of people and I want you to leave alone. Don't touch them. You know who they were? The Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites. Don't touch them. Why? Because they destroyed the people who had giants in their land. Anyway, before the flood, this is an unholy cohabiting of demons and women at one time. God brings forth that they took strange flesh. They were judged for leaving their own abode. So people want a demonic world? You look at all the TV stations now that are devoted totally just to the satanic demonic. That's all they do. Like travel channel. Weird things. I, I used to watch that because they would show you the beaches and cool places to go to. Well now we're talking about traveling demons. <laughs> 
I kid you not, it's all about the demonic world. And there are channels after channels where people go into possessed homes. And then you, you, talk, you hear them talk so much about the, the UFOs. And it's just constant like that. It's a demonic world. But during this time, when God unleashes them and lets them now do what they want, He's been letting man do want do what they want all along. There's been a, a spiritual warfare. There's a problem. The sin of mankind. So what does He use now? He uses the demons. The demons who were in the pit. These are the lowest of the low and they are reserved for this judgment now. We go back to Revelation 9 and it gets quicker here now. I know. We just started. We did two verses. Verse 3, Now the smoke came locust on the earth. Power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth nor any green thing nor any tree, but to hurt the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Remember those guys that have the seal of God? They will not be killed during that time. That's the 144,000. And he says, don't you touch them. You will not touch them. It will not happen. Okay? Who? What? What's happening? We There's a problem with these locusts. Here's the problem. They don't act like locusts. I say they're demonic locusts. They don't eat up the green things. What do locusts do? They devour and destroy everything that's green and leave nothing. Okay, you know, sting of a scorpion? Grasshoppers, locusts don't have the stinger. Well, these could be those flying things and the demons go right into them. Or these are huge... Some people say that these are modern day warfare and give a whole sorts of description. I've said that before. Helicopters and things like that. It made sense. Could be. I won't dismiss it entirely. But this is a demonic, supernatural, spiritual thing that's going on. We've had the physical things. Remember the sky, the land, sea, rivers, whatever. This is now spiritual. Supernatural. How long do locusts last? What's their lifespan? Five months. Huh? Five months. It's interesting. These locusts have five months to torment mankind who are unbelievers in a horrible way. It is a torment that you cannot stand and there's nothing you can do about it. These okay, it's my hand over there. These uh, locusts the, I, I take this as five months in reality here um, are going to sting people so badly that in the Middle East the locusts are the worst painful kind of locust you can have. Um, actually, I said locust there, but a, a scorpion. It's, it, they've got uh, like a torment of a scorpion. Now these locusts have that kind of torment that you know they can sting. The 
the scorpions in the Middle East are of the worst kind. And it people would like to just you know kill themselves. It's horrendous pain, it's radical, it's so intense. You can't stand it, but yet you have to keep standing it. You ever had that much pain? Has anybody ever uh, ever been bitten or stung by a scorpion here? Anybody? It's bad. It's really bad. Debbie has? No, yeah, the ones here are not worse than a wasp, wasp thing. Which is bad enough. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the, the scorpions here in Missouri are... So you'd validify that this is unusual here. This scorpion brings on the pain and intensity that nobody has ever kind of suffered before in, in a physical way. And you'd think, I just want to die. I'm, no, really, I want to die. I can't take this. And so, you know, it's, it means here that they will not be allowed to kill themselves. They cannot commit suicide. That is hard to imagine, but it does happen. There are stories where people have tried to commit suicide and they lived afterward. Now, some of them really paid the consequences the rest of their life. You go to Seattle and they have trauma centers there. They have hospitals and they tell you that the suicides there are in just tremendous huge numbers. It's horrible, folks. People kill themselves right left, especially during this pandemic. It's even worse. People jump off bridges. People take guns to their heads. People will... Take overdose of drugs, you know, that's what a lot of people like to do. Well, these people can take all the drugs that they want. They will continue to be tormented. You could take it, you could take a gun, a bullet can go through from one side, go through to the other, and they still live. It might damage them, or uh, there was a, a girl, I think it's Seattle, what she did is uh, she jumped off, no, 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 she poured uh, lighter fluid all over, lit it, and she burned. And she lived. She wanted to die. And she goes to the hospital, and of course she lives, but to this day you cannot recognize her. She's all up in bandages, but her face is, you couldn't recognize her face. It's all burned up, but she lives. Okay, during this time, this is all, people are going to be trying to die right and left, and they can't die. God keeps it from happening. And we've heard of stories when we know of people who have tried it and they still live. And some stories are absolutely miraculous. And I, I know, I, know I, I still remember that. Yeah. And God intervened. There was no way that that could have happened. Well, this is what's going to happen at that time. Only you're going to see it. Not only dozens, but hundreds, thousands of people going into trauma centers, if they have any. God ordains when each one dies. If it's not their time, they won't go. He will keep them from dying. There will be no escape. What happens when you die? Well, officially, it's whenever the spirit is taken out of the body. No matter how much brain damage there is or what happens to them physically and all the air was taken out of them for so long, it's still yet, there's still a soul there. If the soul is gone, then they're dead. Well, they, you know, in the text, and I'm not going to read through it all, but they have an appearance here, these locusts, they have like horses, 
crowns like gold, faces like men, like hair of women, like lion's teeth, breastplates, wings, tails like scorpions. What a sight. I have no idea. I've got pictures up there. Uh, I'm sure it falls far short of whatever this happens, but do you believe it? Or do you say, oh, well, that's too supernatural. How can we believe that? Come on, you know, it's... I believe it. I believe it's going to be satanic, supernatural, spiritual. Could could they be using some things of modern warfare? Yeah, they could. They could. I, I don't dismiss it, but uh, at any rate, Abaddon, Apollyon, uh, Greek, Hebrew destroyer is what it means. I understand the Masons have the secret name of their <laughs> Masonic beliefs, and it is Abaddon. This is the name of their God. This is the name of their organization, Abaddon, Destroyer. That's the Masons. And they believe in a lot of gods, folks. These locusts have a king. Now, if you go to Proverbs 30.27, it says that locusts do not have kings. This is different here. These are demonic beings who have a king over them. Who do you think it probably is? Probably Satan. But it could be another demon who is over this pit. Who is that star that comes there? I say Satan, but it could be a number of other demons that I don't even know. It doesn't matter. We, we, we can argue all we want. But I can tell you, he's a destroyer, and I know that Satan, sir, he's going to be like Satan. You know, it comes from that same realm. But remember Joel 2.25, we've looked at some pretty dastardly things here, but we can't think but how gracious God is. God will make up for the loss that the locust has caused all this time. Not only to the Israelites back in the Old Testament that He promised way ahead of time, but He will do it to the people who are living during this time period but the unbelievers are all, all going to be suffering. Every one of them, folks. Not believers are going to have that sting. God will deal wondrously with His people. The trumpet in Zion is blown. Which trumpet do you have? Right. Let's go to the sixth trumpet. not going to read everything here. We're going to boil this down. There are protrusions on the altar for sacrifice. This was considered a place of mercy. The prayers of the saints go up to God. And we've seen that a couple of times already, and we see it again. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, just before the Holy of Holies. You have that curtain, and then you have that altar out there representing the prayers of the saints. Well... This altar will resound with a cry for vengeance. And that's what we saw in chapter 6. And uh, did we, did we saw it again. Now we have four bound angels there. These are demons. They're bound. The good guy angels are not bound. And they'll be used by God's judgment as He uses them for you know, using their horsemen. They're going to kill a third of mankind. We've seen a fourth. Now we see a third... That's like a little over a half of people killed at this time. They're at the Euphrates rivers, and that is 
where the cradle of civilization was as being the Garden of Eden. This is one of those four rivers mentioned there. Of course, it was destroyed by the flood, but when it mentions this, you have to think of the Garden of Eden. You have to think of Babylon. You know where this is at? Iraq. This is Iraq. Where these demons are bound at. Where Babylon was at. Where all the pagan religions came out of. World pagan religions started here. Why the Euphrates River, right? And then, it's connected with chapter 16, which we don't have time today, but it's the sixth bowl judgment. It's a little different. We're in this uh, sixth trumpet judgment. But after the seven trumpet judgments, there's going to be the seven bowl judgments, and then that's it. Well, the sixth bowl judgment, right near the end, you're going to see in chapter 16... And I'll go on further with it at that time. But it says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. not going to say much more about it, but I can tell you the kings of the east, you just keep on going east. You, know, you have India. You have China. China is known as the East. Japan is known as the East. We're talking about the Orient. That far East. China, in 1965, in Time Magazine, the Chinese claimed to field a 200 million man army. John is reporting here that this is the number I heard. There's no reason to just kind of spiritualize this because you wouldn't do that in the Old Testament. When you get numbers, you get how accurate is it? Well, it's very accurate. It's to the very degree of what it means. I saw this. I saw a 200 million man army. How many are living on the world at that time? 200 million to maybe 250 million people. Man, woman, and child. John saw an army out of the east that was 200 million. Well, in 1997, the Chinese claimed that they could field 352 million men in the army. At that time, they were over a billion people in China. 352 million. 30% of their population. Well, you have 50% that are probably men. Well, maybe more because they have that deal with women, don't they? They have one kid. At any rate, can could you imagine? Are they lying? Well, Chinese can lie, yeah. Something to see. But they're boasting there. I believe it. I would believe 200 million man army. That is mounted up with these what these four angels did and, and so you're I believe it's first of all it's demonic but the demonic are putting it on men to go and go out and kill them the demons could do it but they hand it over to you know maybe I don't know description of a vision could it possibly be modern day weapon systems as you read through there 
smoke and brimstone. Could be the result of a nuclear weapon. I have no problem with that, but I think this is tremendously supernatural. This whole chapter is supernatural. That's why I took the whole chapter. Because it's supernatural, it's demonic, it's spiritual. And then we get the last section. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, whoever is living, and they're not believers, the ones who they, they couldn't repent of their idolatry, they did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their immorality, and very quickly I got to close, but you get the idea, it makes sense. Who are the ones that are judged? People die during this time, a third of them, they're unbelievers. And some are left, many unbelievers still yet. Murders in American cities all summer long you would hear of dozens of people getting killed in Chicago, Seattle, name it, St. Louis. Murders were up 100%, 150 200%, 400%. It's been murders all the time of mankind, but this is outrageous. Well, these people here are murderers. The, the idolatry that they have, and where does false religion come from comes from demons doctrines of demons that's where they get false beliefs sorceries you know the word for this don't you pharmacia drugs there has never been a time in the world that drugs have been this prevalent now what's it going to be like then and we all know about the opiate problem. It's killing people by the thousands, the millions. We hear about it every day. What's going to be done about it? Well, nothing. It just gets bigger and bigger. And of course, you have the, the legal. Big pharma. And it, you know, this is a world of drugs. Worldwide spread drugs like we've never, ever even thought of before. And we know, we, you know we, it starts off with something very innocent and marijuana and People smoke it. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to kill you, you know. But it uh, over the time, you understand that I've seen friends where their minds lost like half their thinking, uh, and they just went numb. It didn't make any sense anymore. And that was over a course of years, many, many, many years. I, that's why I say. But it, what it did, it was still illegal. And within our time now, it's it's like becoming legal. Matter of fact, there, there. I think uh, Oregon is introducing a new law, uh, and trying to, they're trying to get it passed that there's no criminality in any kind of drugs. So anybody that has dealt drugs, brought billions of dollars of drugs in, they're not a criminal. Let them loose. And just let that happen. And this is now. What, what's going to be happening then? Well, drugs is so prevalent. There's not a person that you don't, I mean, uh, somebody that you don't know or you, that you do know that is got drug problems. Wow. I mean, it, it, this really got rampant in the 60s. It's always been around. We know that. The, you know, all the false religions used it for all those years. Anyway, immorality is pornea. It's pornography. Uh, or it's anything dealing with sex outside of marriage. That's a mark of unbelievers. All of these. Thefts. Thievery. Let's close it up. Unless God draws them to Him, they will continue to be hardened more and more. 
and the judgments that you would think that these warnings would be there that it would drive people to Christ, right? Wouldn't you think that? However they become, they will become more and more hardened and calloused unless God opens their heart. There is no repentance from these particular people, but yet God is calling people everywhere to His salvation. Remember that, that passage in Job that we talked about? God is going to restore all this. We leave with good news. Folks, what we heard today is good news. God's doing His thing. Let's pray. Father, You are a great God. Holy. Thank You for Your Word, Your truth. You are awesome indeed. Lord, we cannot understand maybe all of this and whatever things that I have said that would be maybe... Maybe slightly error. I would pray that they wouldn't. I never want to deliver error and false. We know there's conjectures when we talk about truth, but we do know that it will be a demonic world. The demons definitely are working today even. We've got to know who our enemies are, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not be afraid, but let Christ rule in our hearts and the enemy will always flee. Lord, thank You for Your truth. Thank you for the hope, the living hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.